0: I am Victor Milligan, your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And I'm thrilled to have Jennifer Isabella back from maternity. Gone for a long time. You were well missed. Welcome back.
1: Thanks, Victor. Happy to be back.
0: And also joining us on the phone today is Forrester Principal Analyst Olivia Burdak to discuss insurance claims transformation. Welcome, Olivia.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So let's start off with what's causing rethinking of claims, customer expectations, certainly customers are highly focused on their claims experience and the success rate in claims. But there's also financial pressures that insurers are facing in terms of reducing the operating costs. So in your mind, where do we start the story with transforming claims?
2: Well, that's a great question, Victor. And I think we have to start with the customer because, of course, customers have very few interactions with insurers. And claims is the one thing that they want their insurer to get right. For the customer, that's the moment of truth. It can be a hugely uh, disturbing experience. They might be really um, experiencing a huge amount of loss and uncertainty. Uh, so this is where this is the opportunity for the insurer to show empathy and to get everything back to normal for their customers. But let's not forget that this is also a huge cost um, within the insurance industry. Um, if you think about all the different costs that insurers have, uh, paying out claims accounts for about seventy to eighty-five percent of all their costs. So this is by far their biggest expense. And one way to reduce that expense would be, of course, to bring some of the some efficiencies and new technologies into this process, uh, which at the moment is, is hugely complex and not fully automated.
0: So if you talk to an insurer, they'll say their primary purpose in life is to protect the customer. But it's also to protect the financials, which in some cases, given what we are, could be an unsolvable equation. So this is not pulling back from the purpose of protecting the customer. This is protecting the customer differently and better.
2: Well, indeed, because let's not forget that the way insurers operate is that they use the premiums that customers pay in order to pay out claims. So, if they if they basically pay out too much in claims, then so that means that if if another disaster happens, they just don't have enough money to pay out for other claims. And a lot of insurance companies are mutuals, so they don't necessarily generate profit. Um, they are there to protect customers, so they need to get this part of their job right so that they
0: can protect those customers. So we have a changing customer expectation. We have financial pressures, but we also have in the backdrop, and importantly so, a very different risk climate. And we're sitting here today as Hurricane Florence hammers North Carolina and the U.S., and we're seeing this on a global scale, which is uh, climate change really changing the severity and frequency of weather and thusly the impact on property. Is this part of the dynamic of that, the way that insurers view risk, assess risk, assign premiums is changing because of what's happening outside the four walls.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, climate change is definitely one of the biggest risks to insurers. You will see a recent trend where some of the biggest insurance companies in the world, like uh, Allianz, for example, are actually divesting from fossil fuels. So they are obviously all, also asset managers in addition to being sort of general um, insurance, property, and casualty insurers. And they are divesting from fossil fuels because they're seeing basically the world is becoming uninsurable because we have so many of these disasters um, due to climate uh, change that it's, it's becoming a very, very tricky uh, time to insure, particularly in the areas where, where there are a lot of floods and, and hurricanes. Um, one thing we're seeing, for example, is the rise of something called parametric insurance. Um, So, this is an innovation where rather than uh, sort of agree on on an insurance policy, you actually agree on an amount to pay out if certain conditions happen. Uh, So, you agree on the predetermined sort of trigger, and that trigger can be, for example, um, weather data, a certain amount of rainfall, or, uh, for example, uh, maybe an earthquake um, uh, result. And If that happens, the payout payout is automatically triggered because if you have a huge disaster like a a big flood or a hurricane, uh, then the the cost of processing claims across across all these different geographic areas are just so high and take so long that it's easier to just pay out automatically if a a trigger is basically um, automated. Can we add
1: another layer to the dynamics we're talking about? So what about the disruptors in the space like Lemonade in the U.S.? Is that adding additional pressure to firms, pressure to accelerate their transformation?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. So all, all the insurers out there are very, very curious about what InsurTech is doing, and many of them have actually set up venture capital funds to invest or acquire some of these companies. Uh, and Lemonade is uh, certainly an interesting one to watch because, of course, in, in January 2017, they, they reported that they've set a new world record uh, paying out a claim in just three seconds. Um, And, of course, not all of their claims are going to be paid out this way. So this relies on a simple claim that can be uh, fully automated. So the way that happens is basically a customer um, initiates a claim by pressing a button on the Lemonade app, um, and then they run their own sort of algorithms, anti-fraud algorithms to decide whether to pay out. Um, So even Lemonade can't uh, do all of this automatically. So actually the median time for manually settling a claim was, something like 11 days, which is not uh, brilliant either. Uh, but it is true that if you if you have an experience where uh, your claim is approved in three seconds, uh, then it seems to you that you shouldn't really wait any longer um, than that uh, because that certainly sets a new expectation uh, for customers.
0: So if I'm an insurer, I have customer expectations and behaviors changing. I have financial pressure with a very you know, very tough 2017 in terms of claims loss, just because of just the frequency and severity of storms. I have climate change, and then I have the insure tech coming in. I mean, that's a heck of a brew coming in. If I'm an average insurer, where am I sitting in terms of, let's just start with three different dimensions, which is organizational data and technical debt. How ready is the organization How ready are they to take on the different data streams and different uses of data to get to the numbers you just described? And then thirdly, where's the starting place for the insurers as they contemplate transformation?
2: Right. So I think the the organization is is definitely uh, the the toughest bit to change. And um, in in some of our research, we actually... Started looking at how you can transform the, the claims journey. And I think what became very, very sort of apparent and very surprising to us is that actually a lot of insurers don't know exactly what happens throughout the claims journey. And that might seem shocking, but it just kind of demonstrates the, the siloed nature of many of these organizations. So there are just so many moving pieces and so many different people involved in the process that everyone knows what they're doing. You know, if you're a claims adjuster or if you're responsible for the payout or if you're uh, working in the contact center. But few people really understand the entire process and what happens at each uh, of the stages. So what we often recommend is that people should start with a, with a customer journey map. Um, and then tie that to a sort of broader customer experience uh, map. So you start thinking, of, you start from the customer's perspective to understand what they're going through, what are their emotions, what are the activities that they're doing, and then sort of map this onto all the, all the activities of the company. So who, who is involved at which stage? Uh, what are they doing? How what they do actually impacts uh, the customer experience, how it affects the overall cost. Because it could be very, very simple changes that might reduce that cost, um, for example, you might give your customers the ability to pick the car they want as a, a sort of a replacement car whilst your car is being um, repaired, and they might actually pick something cheaper, a lot cheaper than they currently had and saving you money. So it's really understanding the customer journey and how that affects the overall experience and um, and your cost. And also understanding all the different layers of that cake underneath that, your processes, the different departments that are involved, and, of course, the technology that lies underneath that. Because, You mentioned the technology, and technology matters here. A lot of the claims uh, processes are are done through claims management systems, uh, many of which will be very, very old and don't typically get replaced. So if you plan to replace a claims management system, that might take you five years. So, in order to improve something, you have a basically a roadmap of five years' time. So, you, you won't see improvements uh, overnight, uh, and that's a significant challenge.
0: All right. So, I'm I'm executing a complex, financially important process across organisational silos, and I'm assuming across different technology systems, which tells me that data is being stored in different places and rarely does anyone have a single view of the entire process from either a customer experience or their own sort of processes. So I imagine that that fracturing of data is playing itself out here as well.
2: Oh, it certainly is, yes. And especially if uh, now you add additional data Sources, maybe from sensors or from the connected car, um, then that becomes even more complex because, of course, you're relying on that data reaching you and not all of that is automated yet. Um, and you might have uh, people who aren't necessarily sort of part of the organization. You might be working with um, car repair shops um, and you're relying on them to also supply real-time data so you can update customers about the state of their repairs.
0: So, Olivia, earlier in this discussion, you, you made reference to parametric insurance, and then you just made reference to different data sources. So, you know, if I if I apply that, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at situational data pulling in external data that sometimes is stable, like floodplain information, but sometimes is not stable. So therefore, much more dynamic, like weather or weather models or that type of thing. I mean, this is a different kind of data stream coming in and forming by the insurer's sense of risk and what actions I'll take in the claims process. How prepared are they to take on these different dynamic sources?
2: Well, it's still a, a minority of companies that offer this. So there are a few startups, uh, one called Flood that does that. Um, insurers are more likely to offer this, for example, uh, as part of their corporate or business line. So AXA does it as a sort of corporate offering. Um, and and of course, you're absolutely right that this depends a little bit on the types of data that they can get their hands on and analyze. Um, so whether data can be very accurate, particularly if it's uh, maybe one day old. Um, You can get flight data if you're trying to understand if someone has been delayed uh, during their travel. So we we have the data. Um, A lot of it is to do with how you set up your processes internally and how you automate those payouts uh, to make that experience work for the customer. Um, So I would say the technology is there. The data is certainly there. So it's more about um, being prepared to obviously um, embrace such innovative products, uh, because uh, there there the, the, the is a lot of there's a lot less control here. You, you kind of predetermine uh, these triggers and indemnity costs, and then you pay out uh, if if the trigger is uh, it happens.
1: So following on, you know, some of Victor's line of questioning, Olivia, we talked about the technical part of, you know, data coming in, data from third-party sources, normalizing that data, being able to use that data. But oftentimes when we talk about data, there's a control factor or the politics of data. So are you seeing that as well in insurance in terms of sharing or, or using data either within the organization or across the ecosystem?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, Insurance is is a fairly sort of closed business. Uh, So if you think about other industries where there might be initiatives like open data, making your own data available via APIs, a lot of banks globally have started doing this. BBVA has its uh, own transaction data API available to developers. You don't really see that from insurers. Um, So even though a lot of organizations have tried to get access to claims data, for example, uh, in order to maybe uh, understand some of the sort of data science and what can be done and whether we can model better underwriting or basically we, we can improve the process, most insurers are not willing to do this because they see this as basically the source of their competitive advantage. And they worry that if you get access to this data, you can basically reverse engineer their underwriting processes. Mm-hmm. And sort of underwriting expertise is where a lot of insurers make their money, because they, are, they want to be better than everyone else in terms of predicting losses and offering the, the lowest price whilst not taking on too much risk.
0: So let me bounce on that last part of that answer, Olivia, which is on the underwriting side. Uh, in the U.S., several large insurers, AIG being one of them, came back and said one of our core strategies is to overhaul or transform underwriting, to actually get more predictive using technology and data substantially better, but also to consider the climate to which underwriting is being done and sort of modernize the models How much is that a primary thrust of this claims processing, meaning I just need to predict better because my relationship between the calibration between the premium and the claim
2: if you if you deal with the the claims better and if you get better data and you understand your own claims processes better that allows you to improve your underwriting uh, because you you get to see for example the different factors um, let's say that affected the claims so you can go back and say okay this person had a giant claim or um, maybe driving a car um, could we basically look at some of the data and use machine learning to spot uh, correlation and interdependencies and use that to then predict in the future uh, which sort of people and what sort of characteristics they share uh, who will incur, incur huge losses. Um, so AX has done that with TensorFlow, for example, uh, where they could really identify uh, the, the, the people who were likely to cause um, massive accidents. Um, so this is not about refusing insurance to, to those types of people. It's just about adjusting the premium so that you take on that risk, but you protect yourself by, by charging more for it
0: and we're talking about vastly improving underwriting, vastly improving the claims process across silos, the data thing that you mentioned Jen. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier the claims management system and I you know you think of these old age systems which data is locked in and making the kind of changes in those systems is almost almost unavailable. So you're really talking about sort of a full modernization or a full change out of technology. How are they looking at their technology environment in terms of trying to get to this new place?
2: So, as I mentioned, claims management uh, systems are very old uh, indeed. They're also very expensive. Um, it's not easy to kind of rip and replace with, with new systems. It can take you sort of five years to implement some of these new claims management systems. Um, so, it's it's not an easy process, and it's it certainly uh, caught up in sort of the larger transformation efforts. Um, typically, as insurer, you have a policy admin system and a claims management system, and these are two different systems and different people. Within the company are responsible for them um, as well as processes, uh, so that's what makes it more difficult to connect uh, these two. Um, and also, you know, some of the some of the policies that you may have underwritten might be quite old. You you might have underwritten someone's house, um, you know, three decades previously, and you might have done it on paper. So for you to actually extract the data now, you have to use. Um, sort of uh, image recognition as well to extract some of this. You need to use um, basically machine learning to support the patterns. You need to uh, understand some of the languages and some of the terms of the contract. So there are lots of technologies that can help, but but it is a time-consuming process.
0: I imagine that in any of these big systems, you almost have thousands of developers participated over a period of time because the level of customization must have been excruciating. And the level of documentation of all that customization might be sketchy. So is the, is the argument that they ultimately need, need to take that five-year journey because they just can't live with that technical debt or they're going to move it to like a systems of record and use it as a source but build technology around it to participate differently, whether that's a comment about underwriting and the use of data or that's a comment about getting into what you described earlier in terms of lemonades, claims processing, speed. How do you see this at the highest level architecture kind of question?
2: Mm -hmm. So the policy admin systems, which are the sort of systems of record, um, are likely to to sit there and continue. And often, if the policy is indeed old and and was written a long time ago, it just will continue to sit in those uh, policy admin systems. You you might basically bring in uh, a new technology stack for all new customers. Um, because it's easier to basically start with afresh with new customers. But then, of course, you are running multiple parallel systems, which happens often anyway because a lot of insurers, of course, grow through acquisitions. Um, in terms of claims management systems, this is the ones that you are more likely to kind of replace maybe every 10 or 20 years. Um, so this is where a lot of insurers are basically uh, working on replacing those systems now because that type of innovation that we're talking about is is not possible with some of the older systems uh, because of the kind of uh, very inflexible um, workflows. uh, Maybe some of the tools uh, don't allow the same level of automation. There's also rigidity. Um, You you, you can't sort of isolate single functionality or business capabilities. So uh, here there, there will definitely be a lot of innovation. So
1: we've used this five-year marker as like, okay, it's going to take at least five years to maybe rip out some of these systems. And you just talked about, you know, things happening concurrently. Where, where are we? Are we at the beginning of that five-year marker? Are people fully within this transformation? Are some people thinking about it and don't know what to do? I mean, I'm sure it's a, a wide variety. But is there a general kind of consensus of where insurers are today on this journey?
2: They, 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 it depends really on the insu- on each insurer. So many of them have completed uh, this journey. Um, I speak with some of the biggest insurers uh, globally, and, and and they have just completed this process. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it took them five years. <laughs> and they're thinking, okay, in ten years' time, we have to do this again. Right. Uh, whilst others are just embarking on this process, um, but uh, many of them are asking questions around, okay, now that we've done this. What else can we do? Yeah, what's next? Uh, Exactly. Where is the innovation? What can we do now uh, that we have the takes the technology platform um, in terms of implementing some of the newer technology?
0: So you mentioned earlier that key to transforming claims is to keep the customer at the center of that design. And so it's not strictly like an IT thing, let me replace the claims management system or build on top of it. This is a business technology or CX-driven change, which is, how do I build technology wisely and well to service the customer fundamentally different to gain differentiation along the way?
2: Absolutely. That's why we always recommend that you start with that customer journey map or the ecosystem map because you should be uh, orchestrating the journey around what customers are doing and feeling uh, because this is in support of the customer and obviously cost savings are important too, Uh, but a lot of them will happen because and they're they're, they're not necessarily contradictory to to customers' happiness. So if you automate the the claims uh, journey or the the payout, you pay out much faster uh, and therefore make customers happy, but of course save money as well because you've reduced uh, the number of man hours that are required to to pay out the claim. Uh, So this ideally should be customer-led and underpinned by technology that, uh, including emerging technologies, that make this ha-
1: makes this happen. So, Livia, you had just mentioned emerging technologies. So can you provide maybe a few examples of how those technologies are being folded into the claims journey or the claims process?
2: Mm-hmm. We have a number of uh, digital technologies and and emerging technologies here that can improve the the claims journey. Uh, Some of it is to do with with the sensors, so Internet of Things, um, we mentioned parametric insurance. So, for example, you could um, have sensors embedded into house, and if they notice a specific level of moisture, that could be the trigger that uh, that basically starts the, the payout process. We have drones, so Typically, historically, uh, claims of justice would struggle to obviously try to assess the damage done to roofs and would be hugely dangerous and expensive. But, of course, with drones we can do that, and drones can can uh, generate images that uh, we can analyze uh, using artificial intelligence and image processing to understand the the level of damage and also automate that process. Uh, Robotic process automation is is part of the equation, naturally, because with some of the simpler claims or or claims where we uh, maybe get image processing, for example, as part of it, uh, we can automate that process and make the payout faster. Um, then, of course, we have chatbots. Uh, so you can uh, start basically the process of um, claims uh, registering by by typing in into your mobile app uh, the, the nature of the loss, and you can use natural language processing to understand what's happened, and then machine learning to basically identify usual um claims language and and some of the phrases that customers are using when they are are reporting a claim to speed up that claims processing uh, process. So a lot of technologies um, that insurers can experiment with to transform the entire claims journey.
0: So insurance was considered by some to be sort of the sleepy neck of the woods of the industry world. And here we are at the mid-stage or in the midst of a major renaissance period where we're rethinking the business model, the economics, rethinking the use of technology, reimagining sort of how to engage with customers. I mean, this is a highly innovative time for the industry. How do you see this playing out?
2: So I think we will see a lot of innovation, uh, but also, you know, a growing chasm between some of the leaders and the laggards, uh, because the leaders are already experimenting with some of the emerging technologies I've mentioned. Um, and the leaders are also measuring the impact of what they're doing in terms of um, the sort of customer experience. So some of the conversations that we're having have so much to do with emotions, and and insurers are asking us to, to design journeys that really inspire sort of a great emotional response from the customer, and I think that's a, that's a hugely positive sign. So I think there will be a chasm between those that are very much customer-focused and customer-driven in this process and are applying uh, emerging technologies to match those, those expectations um, and those who maybe just focus on the pure automation element and therefore miss that customer journey and misunderstand uh, some of the steps that customers go through when, when they go through the claims journey.
0: Ali, well, this is great. Thank you so much for your time today. It was great talking with you.
2: Great. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for
1: joining us. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.